Welcome to the Don Smith Show, where it's okay to be a conservative. And now here's your host, Don Smith. Hey, thank you, Brad Smith, for that great introduction. And thanks to each and every one of you for tuning in today for another Don Smith Show, where it's always okay to be a conservative. We've got a great lineup here on the program today. We've got Major General Paul Valley, also Newt Gingrich, and People's Pundit Daily Editor, Mr. Richard Barris. So a lot of stuff to cover here this week. Obviously, apologies first for not being here last week. We actually uh, went to a live sporting event. Just amazing. Uh, went down for the NASCAR road course race last weekend and had a great time. Uh, but I got to say, it was it was really weird. You know, it was the whole thing with the masks and the... You know, when everybody got up in the stands, you know, people took their masks off, but um, just kind of a really weird deal to be all the social distancing. And But there were, I mean, there were thousands of people. I don't know what the actual count was, but a lot of cars there, a lot of people. Uh, and it was just great to be able to get out and do something live, right, instead of, well, what we've all been doing here lately. So anyway, a lot of stuff to cover here this news uh, this week. We've got obviously uh, the riots continue in these cities as crime skyrockets. Uh, still going to defund the police, though. That sounds absolutely fantastic. I think it's going to end really, really well. And, uh, well, you know, we're going to kind of kind of sidestep the whole DNC thing. I, I don't even know what that was, uh, some kind of clown show. Uh, so I think we'll just kind of really kind of forget about that. Everybody else wants to talk about that, and we'll just let them have at it. We'll, so many other things that we can go over, so many other things to cover, and just a little bit of time to do it, folks. You know what time it is. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! So just to mention this, we haven't had Major General Valley on in a while. Uh, he's, if, if you hadn't heard, uh, he had actually, he and his wife both came, came down with COVID-19. Uh, so we're going to talk to him about that. I, it, the first person I actually know that's actually had it. Uh, first two people, and just kind of want to know what that experience was like, and he's willing to talk about that. So we'll talk about that, but more importantly, um, what would what would foreign policy even look like under Joe Biden? You know, the, uh, I said I wasn't going to talk about the DNC, but just one thing I want to make perfectly clear on it, there's no policies. He has no more policies than Hillary Clinton did in 2016. I've said it many times in the show, they've learned absolutely nothing in four years. Uh, all we heard was orange man, bad. Well, there you go. Apparently, uh, just hating President Trump, if you hate him enough, the virus will go away. Um, there will be no more deaths, no more sicknesses. And, and apparently, I don't know, I guess that's about the only thing I could take away from the whole thing. So we will have Major Valerie Leon later. We'll talk about that, uh, what was it like for him. Uh, Newt Gingrich, that's from my July interview with him. And uh, Richard Barris, obviously, we'll talk, get into a little bit about the DNC there, and we'll talk about the economy and what we can look forward to uh, going forward. Or, you know, maybe, obviously, hasn't been a good run here lately, but uh, we'll see what's, what's coming down the road for us all. I want to get into something on this, though, because this is – you know, one of the things, uh, one of the drums, if you will, that we've been beating on the program here is the science of this whole COVID-19. I mean, just every day it's something different. I talked about the race we went to last weekend where they had all these protocols and, of course, had to have your temperature taken and had to have the mask and all these, you know, other things that we had to do, staggered entries and all those kind of things. Fair enough. We got in, we got to our seats and got to enjoy a, a fun race. So um, all said and done, it was okay. But from one day to the next, 
everything changes. So basically anything now that's open, right? They're here, the protocols, the standard things are the mask and the taking of the temperature. So we had Dr. Fauci, who at the beginning of this, and you know, I'm going to keep harping on this because it's just reality and it's important. A lot of other places you don't hear reality, and we've got to continue to stay on that um, path of just talking about factual data here. You had Dr. Fauci, who immediately came out. First thing they said was that it wasn't, you couldn't spread it human to human. Remember this? It was just an animal to human transmission, so nothing to fear here. That was only because Orange Man bad, because Orange Man had put in a travel ban. So obviously they had to somehow make him look like, try to make him look like an idiot. Turned out he was right. Even Dr. Fauci now admits that. Dr. Fauci now says you don't care about your neighbor if you don't wear a mask first. They would actually do more harm than good. Now, you know, you, you guys know the drill here. So one of the CDC guidelines for any business was the taking of temperatures, all these kind of things. Now, listen to what Dr. Fauci just said last week. Listen to this. We have found at the NIH that it is much, much better to just question people when they come in and save the time uh, because the temperatures are notoriously inaccurate many times. I, I think we're going to just abandon that and say, let's just be prudent, ask questions, and do it that way. Let's just ask questions instead of actually taking people's temperature. So now that's no good. We should quit doing that. It's a waste of time. They're grossly inaccurate. Blah, blah, blah. This is the problem because this is science. He represents science when it comes to COVID-19. So when everybody says the uh, president should just listen to Joe Biden day after day, he says the president should just listen to the science. What science? Do we take temperatures? Do we not take temperatures? Do we wear masks? Do we not wear masks? Is it transmitted human to human? Is it not transmitted human to human? Remember when they scared us all with the uh, lives on cardboard for 6,000 years and on glass for... ...been true, the problem would have been this. You wouldn't have been able to take get takeout food, right? Because it's served in all these different... Uh, materials, whether it's cardboard or whatever. So anyway, from one day to the next, they don't know what they're talking about, yet everybody should listen to the people that don't know what they're talking about from one day to the next. That's a huge problem. Remember, we read the story here about a month ago, and it was Dr. Fauci, who's concerned that, you know, people, they might be skeptical of the science. Jeez, you think? You think? Here's what, here's what they need to do. And I think, I think the American people, would actually respect this if they if they were to do it they're not going to do it but i think the american people would actually have respect for it if dr fauci were to come out and say look here's the deal we really don't know we really don't know instead of coming up with all these guidelines that everybody thinks well geez they must have done a bunch of testing they must have done da, 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 you know what they went through this rigorous process to come up with all these different criteria to keep us all safe just admit you don't know i would rather hear that then one day here, masks no good. Next day, masks are good. One day, you got to have temperatures taken. Next day, that's ah, a waste of time. Just tell us you don't know. Tell us you're working on it. Tell us where you're at in the process. Make, make us believe that there is actually a process here, because how is there a process? If one day masks are, are no good, more harm than good, and the next day you hate your neighbor if you don't wear one, what process got us from the first one to the second one? What process? told the NIH, the CDC, everybody, the World Health Organization, that it's really important to take temperatures. What was the process that got us from that 
to now, eh, they're grossly inaccurate and it's a complete waste of time. Those are the things I think people would respect. Those are the things that would keep people from being skeptical. Because, yes, I'm skeptical. And you know what? At the beginning of it, when he said masks did more harm than good, um, I kind of agreed with that. But now I would be a science denier for believing what I believed, which has actually turned out, I think, probably to be right. So, you know, just admit you don't really know. And I think people, you know, will probably have a little bit more respect for the scientific process. Speaking of staying on the same line. So when when it became the, the policy, because, again, first, no masks. Masks were bad. Then it became the process that everybody should have a mask on. So they said, you know, just make one. Use a, even, even putting a scarf is a good thing, right? So you, certainly you've heard this now. This is a Duke study. So I'll give them credit on this because at least they did tell us how they got to the process on this. But I'm not sure. Man, I don't, I'm not sure what to believe anymore. This is the problem. That's what creates skepticism is when you're constantly wrong. So anyway, Duke study finds some cotton cloth masks are about as effective as surgical masks while thin polyester spandex gaiters, which a lot of people are wearing, may be worse than going maskless. See, see we're, we're back now, once again, two masks may be doing more harm than good. As the number of novel coronavirus cases continue to rise nationwide, the recurring message from many public health experts and doctors has been simple. Wearing masks saves lives. We are not defenseless against COVID-19, Robert Redfield, director of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, said in July. Cloth-based coverings are one of the most powerful weapons we have to slow and stop the spread of the virus, particularly when used universally within a community setting. But as face coverings have become increasingly commonplace in American life, so have questions about efficacy. And now a group of researchers from Duke University are aiming to provide some answers. In a recent published study, the researchers unveiled a simple method to evaluate the effectiveness of various types of masks. Analyzing more than a dozen different facial coverings ranging from hospital-grade N95 respirators to bandanas. Of the 14 masks and other covered coverings tested, the study found that some easily accessible cotton cloth masks are about as effective as standard surgical masks, while popular alternatives such as neck gaiters made of thin, stretchy material may be worse than not wearing a mask at all. See, again, at least in this case, they're saying, hey, we actually did a study and here's what we found. But shouldn't they have done this before? Did, was there, there is no, seems to be, no studies that are done before the guidelines come out. So the guidelines come from where? Who comes up with these guidelines if they're just now starting to do these tests? And why did they come up with that? I think that's kind of an important factor as well. You can really see the mask is doing something, said one of the study's co-authors, Warren S. Warren. <laughs> I didn't make that up either. A professor of physics, chemistry, radiology, and biomedical engineering at Duke. There's a lot of controversy, and people say, well, masks don't do anything at all. Well, the answer is some don't, but most do. Now, okay, so, so just take that for a minute. It, you, you were a nutbag, right? If you said that masks don't work, you were a nutbag. He just got done saying that some don't, but, but, you know, but most do. They're, they're admitting it now that, yeah, some of these masks are not effective. Uh, they do absolutely nothing. 
Anyway, I digress. The search for a way to determine the effectiveness of different masks began with a request from a professor at Duke's Medical School who was working to provide at-risk and underserved populations in Durham, North Carolina, with the critical face coverings, according to a news release from the university. Faced with so many varieties of masks, all claiming to have virus-blocking capabilities, the professor sought help in the university's physics department. Now, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to get right to the chase on this. So they're saying that these gator masks, that, that they actually, they increase the size of the droplets somehow. So it's some kind of like, I don't know, nuclear fission kind of thing, I guess, and then makes them even worse. You should know this before you start telling people to wear masks. Now, You've got Dr. Fauci here a couple weeks ago who says we should also wear goggles. Geez, here we go again, right? Okay, what kind of goggles? Some goggles will certainly turn out to be less effective than it. Figure it out first and then get back to us. And people will tend to not be so skeptical when it comes to science. Skeptical on science, I mean, you need no look further than, uh, than Al Gore. And their argument will always be, well, Al Gore's not a scientist. He's just a politician. Yeah, yeah, here's the problem. You didn't have any scientists and come out and say, this guy's whack. This guy should shut up, man, because he's like not a scientist. You didn't hear anybody say that. President Trump says something, and uh, ooh, I mean, they're all over him. But uh, the point is, those scientists, those experts when it comes to climate change, should have been all over Al Gore. Yeah, no, Al, the, uh, we don't see the polar ice caps melting in 10 years, and uh, yeah, we don't see this happening. But they didn't. They didn't. In fact, what did they do? They fed off it, right? They shared his little movie and his little, little crazy things that he put out there. They never once questioned Al Gore. So, yeah. So maybe if they did things like that, we would have less skepticism when it comes to this or anything else. This isn't going to be the last pandemic we have. This isn't going to be the last virus, the last anything scientific. But science has really put themselves in a bad spot, I think, over the last probably 30 years now, I think, at this point. But, um, you know, I don't know. We'll see what happens. So one of the big things going on here. This week is there's, there's some things going on where they're looking into investigate Andrew Cuomo. Keep in mind, this is liberalism, folks. Andrew Cuomo is considered a hero for the way he dealt with coronavirus. Uh, California, or I'm sorry, New York is by far, not even a close second, by far the worst state if you want to deal with whether it's number of cases, number of deaths. But all you hear is where I'm at here in Florida is that it's still, I mean, yeah, we're, we're tripping over bodies, right? I mean, they're just everywhere. It's the, it's the hot spot of the world, um, just death and destruction everywhere. It's not. Ron DeSantis killed people. But Andrew Cuomo, well, you know, he's pretty much a hero. This guy is so incredibly arrogant through this thing. So they're trying to do this investigation. They're trying to get him to, uh, they're trying to find out exactly what happened. And they seem to be having a lot of problems getting the actual information. But I want to play this. This was something I actually picked up last week, and this was not. I would have played it on last week's show, um, but we were in a race. But anyway, so 
I picked this up last week. This is a montage of Andrew Cuomo throughout this thing. Remember, remember when we read the story, when all this first happened and we read the story about how uh, Cuomo was blamed or was talking about how Trump never accepts responsibility and how with the buck stops with him and, and all that good stuff. Yeah. Listen to this montage. This is fascinating. So anyone who wants to ask why did the state uh, do that with COVID patients in nursing home, it's because the state followed President Trump's CDC guidance. Who can we prosecute for those deaths? Nobody. Nobody. Mother Nature, God, and you had this political conspiracy theory that uh, the deaths in nursing homes were preventable. I think it is all politically motivated. If anybody looked at the facts, they would know that it was wholly absurd on its face. It was wholly absurd on its face. Now, a couple things about this. If anybody looked at the facts, see, this is the problem, because that's what they're trying to get. They would actually like to look at the facts, but Governor Cuomo, not a big fact uh, distributor, uh, but if anybody looked at him like he has, they'd know how absurd this is on his face. No, no, it's a fact. More people died in nursing homes in New York than have died in total here in Florida. But DeSantis, killing people. Cuomo, hero, right? Yeah, I think you get the point here. But, but it just, it just, it, it, you got to go back to the guy talking about how uh, Donald Trump, this guy won't accept any responsibility. I don't know how these people in New York can stand to listen to this guy. He is obnoxious, he is condescending, and he is just an arrogant jerk. But anyway, but he was... People, more people died in nursing homes in New York than in the entire state of Florida. Think about that. Think about the number of nursing homes. Think about the number of retired people that we have in the state of Florida compared to New York. Our population, number one, is bigger than New York anyway. We're the third most populous state. But think about the retirement community, which is the most, the most at risk, the most vulnerable in our society. So uh, it hardly sounds like the buck actually does stop with Andrew Cuomo, um, but I think we probably already knew that ahead of time. Let's talk a little bit about the riots. Uh, just <laughs> two weeks ago, we did a show, and I, I made the comment, I made the statement, actually had a, like a full segment on it. Because we think, we think, you know, they must not get it, right? So, I mean, you're Mayor Durkin in, in Seattle, and you're calling it the summer of love. Remember to Chaz, Chad, whatever, the whole thing there, where, where people end up getting killed. But it was going to be the summer of love. This was going to be the greatest thing. And, and, you, and you sit there and you go, she can't possibly believe that, right? She can't possibly believe that. And so we kind of made some, some the case here last week. We proved that uh, some of these governors, some of these mayors, they actually do get it. And I'm talking about the liberal ones, the liberal loony ones that are so far left at this point. It's not even funny. They're so far left, they think it's going to be the summer of love when they just give up a portion of the city to a bunch of anarchists. Because, you know, that makes sense, right? Certainly the anarchists will be really super friendly and nice. Not so much. They like to kind of burn things down and loot. And we're watching it on TV every night. 
We watch it on TV every night, and then we got to sit and listen on Fox News to somebody like Juan Williams who tells us, oh, it's all great. They're mostly peaceful protests. No, they're not. Yeah. Nothing about any of these protests has been mostly peaceful. Not even partially peaceful, right? They're very violent. They're stealing, looting, things on fire, uh, throwing rocks and bottles and uh, frozen water bottles at police officers. So, yeah, yeah, no, nothing about it is mostly peaceful, not even close to being mostly peaceful. So here you've got the city council. So you've got basically right now what we've got is a, a two-horse, two-horse race going on between Seattle and Minneapolis. The city council, obviously they don't want any police. They, remember at the beginning of this when the defund the police, the abolish the police people, when it really didn't mean that. Remember that? We didn't know what we were talking about. They don't really. Yes, they do. They not only mean it, they're actually doing it. But you're supposed to listen to the Durkins and the uh, whoever the little kid is that's the mayor up there in Minneapolis. But you're supposed to listen to them because it doesn't really mean that. It means something else. No, no. They, sometimes you really need to believe what people say. When Bernie Sanders says he's a socialist, I believe him. I believe he actually is a socialist. So anyway, so. Here you've got these two city councils competing to be the first one to completely eliminate police, to completely defund them, to have them all removed, and to be the first ones without police so that they can go look at how wonderful it is here. Now, we all know it's like not going to be wonderful, but, but you know you're in trouble. Let's go to Seattle because they just did this vote. They've got the, they had the first, well, still have, she's like, I think on for a couple more weeks here, the first black female police chief celebrated by everyone oh this is a it was a great uh, accomplishment this is a first it was so fantastic last week they they voted to cut her pay in half so so before i get into what i want to play here in a second i just want you to think about that for a minute they celebrated it so right they, they all celebrated and they said this see the see this shows that it's kind of it's kind of like when people say I have a lot of black friends, right? You know, like it was kind of like, see, we're not racist. Look at look what we just did, and this is historic. And they and they celebrated, which is absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with celebrating it. But I want you to think for a minute. If these were Republicans, so if it was a Republican mayor, if it was a Republican city council, if it was if there was a single Republican anywhere in politics uh, in Seattle, which yeah, I don't think there is but anyway but vote blue no matter who that's that's the big champ so if these were republicans you think maybe that would get a little bit of news coverage they cut her pay in half she has now resigned so the first black female police chief has now resigned and she was she resigned because an almost all white city council cut her pay in half and is taking away all of her police and trying to completely eliminate her. Imagine, imagine if you will, those were Republicans. Pretty sure CNN would be all over it, uh, MSNBC. Everybody would be all over it, right? Yeah, okay. So they, they do the vote. They're going to pass this budget. They're cutting, uh, they're going to cut 100 police officers. They're going to do all these things. You know you're in trouble. You, you know that you're you're too far left even for socialists and communists when the mayor finally says, hmm, maybe this isn't a good idea. Did, have we all noticed how her attitude changed the night they marched to her house? It was the summer of love. I mean, people were getting shot, killed. She didn't really care. It didn't really bother her. 
until they marched to her house. Now, that was the end of the summer of love for Mayor Durkin. So here's what she had to say. Listen to this. You know you're in trouble. You know you've gone way off the radar even for a massive leftist loon when this is said about the passing of that bill. I continue to have concerns with the council's decision to make cuts before developing a plan. We need to know what those cuts do for public safety. There's no plan for how the city will bridge potential gaps in the police response caused if we lose 100 police officers. Isn't that something? This, this is just dawning on her. She's just going, wait a minute, this might not be good. <laughs> see, see, it all changed the night they showed up on her property. Because they're all immune to it, right? I mean, these things don't apply to them. She's still going to have armed security. She's still going to have all those kinds of things until she's no longer mayor. Then she won't. So maybe that's the realization that's going on with her, is that these people finally showed up on her doorstep, so maybe she's not going to be around next time. And then she won't be entitled to many of those things. So they always think these rules don't apply to them. So not to leave Portland out of all this. I mean, we talked about Minneapolis. We talked about Seattle. But let's talk a little bit about Portland, right? Over 80 days now. This has been going, it's, it's been, you know, and, and that's, that's what we hear in the news, right? 80 consecutive nights of, this has been going on for a couple of years. This has basically been going on since Donald Trump won the election. You've got all these people on the left talking about, well, will Donald Trump accept the election? These people have never accepted it. You've still got Hillary Clinton running around talking, I get more votes, I get more votes. And they have not a single one of these people has accepted anything. But once again, they're wondering whether Donald Trump will, will he accept this? Will, will the FBI have to haul him out of the white? You know, I mean, these people are insane. So this has been going on in Portland for a really long time. This is ground zero for the lovely, uh, lovely Antifa crowd. But, but listen to this. So, so you're in Portland, and, or, or, or you're just us. You're sitting watching it on TV going, wow, how are they allowing this to happen? And what are they going to do about it, right? So we just played the clip with the mayor of Seattle going, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe this isn't a really good idea. Maybe we should have a plan first. Isn't that something? What a concept. All of a sudden, she's got like some common sense. Um, but hey, uh, good thing for the people of Seattle, because that, those are the real losers and all this is the law-abiding citizens in the great city of Seattle. But so, so you say, what, do, what is Portland going to do about this? So now all of a sudden, they're starting to get a little aggressive. They're starting to arrest people. Um, these mostly peaceful. None of them are peaceful. None of them are peaceful. I have not seen the peaceful protesters yet, but they tell us most of them are. So how are they going to deal with this? I mean, arrests are going up. Uh, you, you want to defund the police and you want to remove the police. They want to seem to remove the police from these criminal activities. So what are they going to do? Well, here's what they're going to do. Multnomah County District Attorney Mike Schmidt has announced a new policy that will limit the types of charges pressed against protesters in Portland. That's fantastic. This is going to be really good. Schmidt announced at at a Tuesday press conference that he is only pressing charges against protesters arrested for assault, theft, or property damage. That means he'll be dropping lesser charges that the Portland Police Bureau often arrests protesters for, such as rioting. That's going to be all right. Disorderly conduct, no problem. Interfering with a peace officer, not a problem. A catch-all term for not following orders or bothering a cop. 
the policy will apply to all protest charges dating back. They went retroactive with this. <laughs> so, so if you smashed out some store windows a couple weeks ago, you're good to go now. If we leverage the full force of the criminal system, justice system on individuals who are peacefully protesting and demanding to be heard, which, again, I haven't seen any of these people, but anyway, we will cause irreparable harm to them individually and to our society, Schmidt said in a prepared statement. The prosecution of people exercising their rights to free speech and assembly in a nonviolent manner takes away from the limited resources that we have to prosecute serious crimes and assist crime victims. Did you catch that? Did you catch They're worried about the looters. They're worried about the people starting buildings on fire. You know, they don't want to do anything to cause irreparable harm to them. Screw the law-abiding citizens. Screw them. We don't care about those people. But, you know, we've got to be gentle with these snowflakes. They're, you know, they, they, they participation trophies their whole lives. Um, we, we can't really get tough with them now. How many people think that this goes back to you think about, like, for me, when I was a kid, I mean, discipline was a little bit different than it is today. How many people think this has ended well? This, oh, don't ever say anything. Everybody gets a trophy. How many people think maybe this has something to do with the problems we're facing today? So I think the irreparable harm and damage has been done a long time ago, like for most of these snowflakes of their entire lives. Here's a full list of charges that Schmidt's office will decline to prosecute when connected to protests. Interfering with a peace officer or, or parole and probation officer, which I'm not sure how many of those are. Anyway, that's another story. Disorderly conduct in the second degree. That's okay. Criminal trespass in the first and second degree. Not a problem. You want to break into somebody's property? Not a problem, as long as you're protesting. Escape in the third degree. Harassment. Harassment is now okay. That's fantastic. And riot. So even when you're not, what they say is all of them are riots, right? Every one of these things happening is a riot. But now that's perfectly okay, unless accompanied by a charge outside of this list. So you can do all six of those things, and you're good to go. I think that's going to be absolutely fantastic. It'll be even better when they completely eliminate the police, won't it? I mean, that's when it's really going to be a lot of fun. And speaking of fun we got to take a quick commercial break, and we will be back with my good friend. He is the editor of PeoplesPunditDaily.com, Mr. Richard Barris. Have you ever been frustrated when you go to the doctor and are asked to fill out forms over and over again? And you're asked for information that you don't remember, or you have to submit the same form to multiple organizations. And each time you are asked to fill out the same form by hand. What about filling out business or legal forms, all manually? Maybe you've spent a lot of time filling out a form, made sure that everything is correct, and oops, the person who re-entered the data into the computer system made several mistakes. Why couldn't you do it from home in advance, where you could find all of the necessary documents? Now you can at formateer.com. The next time you need a form filled out, the information can be found right at your fingertips. If you're an individual, you may find some forms ready to use on formateer.com. Or we may be able to create a custom form for you at a very low cost or no cost at all. If you're a small business, formateer.com will be happy to create a set of forms or a complete data entry solution for your business needs. If you're a business that provides software, IT solutions, or both to another business, formateer.com has a great solution for you as well. Our parent company, RenderX, provides software and solutions to a very 
very diversified group, from individuals to Fortune 500 companies. Even the United States government budget is formatted with RenderX software. With Formateer.com, customers can fill out forms from their homes in advance when and where they have all the required information. Or they can edit information that has changed if they filled out the form previously. No writing for them, no data reentry for you. Form filling solutions for businesses or individuals at Formateer.com. That's Formateer.com. Is it time to expand and open offices in Sao Paulo and London? A long-term lease will be like a short, tight noose. And furnishing those will be as much fun as a tax audit. You guys always give me such great negative feedback. Fear and doubt holding you back? Now there's a new way to work to minimize risk. With Regis, you get fully equipped offices without a long-term lease, a receptionist, conference rooms, and over 1,100 locations around the world. Regis is the new way to work. Call now and get two months free. been looking for an online gathering place you know a familiar screen does everything you're used to except give you grief for being a conservative you've got to try the tea party community at tpc you'll know how everything works from the very first minute and you'll probably find a lot of friends who are already there organize communicate share ideas upcoming events pictures and videos the tea party community connects and empowers like-minded politically conservative people like you, sign up today at TeaPartyCommunity.com. Wouldn't it be nice if there was an easier, less expensive option than a traditional lawyer? At LegalZoom, you get personalized services for your family and your business that's 100% guaranteed. So go to LegalZoom.com today for personalized, affordable legal protection. Are you among the 64% of Americans who believe our country is going in the wrong direction? If yes then eVoiceAmerica.com is the political take action site we've all been waiting for. And it's really free. eVoice America provides your personal list of elected reps every time you log on. This makes it so easy to email your opinions and eVotes on top issues directly to each of our DC elected representatives. eVoice then publishes our eVote majority percentages on top issues to each member of Congress and the media. Now, for the first time in history, we can know what millions of American citizens are telling Congress. No more gridlock. Join the new American majority using eVoiceAmerica.com, putting Americans in control of Congress. Visit eVoiceAmerica.com today. It's free and easy to use. That's eVoiceAmerica.com. Hey, this is Ted Nugent. I'm on the Don Smith Radio Show, where it's okay to be a real conservative. Hey, welcome back to the program. A lot of stuff still to cover here on the program. Again, coming up, we've got Richard Barris in just a few minutes. Also, Major General Paul Valley. We'll talk about his situation with COVID and many other things, and also Mr. Newt Gingrich. So my pleasure to bring on my next guest. He is the editor of PeoplesPlanetDaily.com. His name is Richard Barris. Rich, welcome back to the show. 
Hello, my friend. Thanks for having me back. Hopefully the uh, echo in here is uh, not too bad, but we're still in, uh, you know, pretty much empty, the coronavirus supply chain disruption. But doing well. Uh, How about you? Doing absolutely fantastic, living the dream. So let's get into this. Did did you get a chance? I got because I got to be honest to everybody here. I did not watch one minute of the DNC. <laughs> so the only thing I caught was the clips on Fox and Friends the next day and Tucker. That was about it. So did you watch it? And what was your takeaway from it? You know, I mean, I did watch, especially the major speeches. You know, just part of my job, have to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, this is my major takeaway, Don. I've watched every convention, even the ones I was too young to watch, as long as they have been televised and go back and study them to do what I do. Uh, this is the first convention ever in history where they met the party and the party's nominee did not make a rational policy argument to the electorate. And what I mean by that is, in other words, I'm going to – I'm going to do A, B, and C, and policies one, two, and three are going to make your life better. Vote for me. I'm going to make your life better, and I'm going to make your communities better. This was the first convention that was a basic giant experiment in social desirability bias. This was the convention to shame you. This was the convention to scare you. This was the convention to basically – punk you into voting for their guy. There was no argument to be made. You could say what you want about who you're going to vote for, but this was a Donald Trump is a bad person. You are a bad person if you support him. If you take your own financial interest and put it before you, you are immoral. Have some dignity and vote for Joe Biden. I have never Mm -hmm. seen this in my life, never in my life. You know, I, I got to say, though, a little bit, because I, I did watch it in 2016, and there were very few policy things there. But but to your point, there were some things that, you know, Hillary Clinton was going to do this and do this. There were a couple things that she made a point on. But it, it, the whole thing, the theme was orange man bad. I keep saying on the show, Rich, that they've learned nothing in the last four years. And, and that's totally true. And I think from, the, from what you just said there as well, uh, they've actually gone – further in the wrong direction as far as policies and what they will do. And it's just about orange man bad. I think I have an answer for that too, Don. You know, we're going to be starting to really uh, open up the channels and really firing away. We'll have a nice, uh, we'll have a pretty solid announcement here at a big data poll real soon. Uh, There is no game, right? And for all of the conversation that we had about Joe Biden, much the same as Hillary Clinton, she's on paper. She's that kind of candidate who will appeal to the working class in this country. There is no ground being made against Donald Trump in the middle, uh, you know, the working middle class electorate. There just isn't. And that is what uh, that is who got him elected. He broke Reagan's 1984 record for the highest share of the white uh, working class. And I will say this, if they cannot make gains, the only thing they can do is target that specific voter. Of course, they want a high turnout among the the woke elites, right? But it is that white, middle to middle high income suburban metro woman that they are targeting who actually, despite what the poll showed, slightly voted uh, for Donald Trump in uh, 2016. And this convention was about shaming those women. That's what this was about. And, you know, you know how your groups of friends 
are are voting, and you know how you're supposed to vote, and that's and you are a bad person if you don't vote for us, and that's why I think I finally I'm like wondering what is the strategy here? What's the strategy? The strategy is they know damn well they're not making any gains in Western Pennsylvania. Barack Obama and Joe Biden on the ticket. Joe himself carried Erie County, Pennsylvania by 16 points. And Donald Trump flipped Erie County, and he carried it by two points. Not only have they made no gains with those voters, but Erie and places a lot like Erie have continued to drift toward Donald Trump and Republicans. They have to offset it somewhere, right? So that has to be in the higher suburbs, metro suburbs around Philadelphia, even in the Bronx. Otherwise, they lose the state of Pennsylvania. It doesn't really matter what the polls say, which, by the way, is a whole other conversation, Don, but it's not just us. I, we spoke with a ton of people in our industry yesterday. We spoke with vendors. People were calling me, asking me how I'm doing reaching those working class people because the only one who wants to talk to pollsters these days is that woke, uh, white, affluent high-income woman. That is who people are reaching. Normally, that's the case. Women in general are more willing to talk to pollsters. This year, it's very bad, Don. Very bad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that's a great point, Rich, is we saw this in 2016. It, It became about shaming the voters. I mean, it used to be about the politicians, right? So it was like, you know, this, you've got this person against this person. Now it's, now it's like this, this attack, on the American people. And I'm just at the same time, Rich, they're talking about unity. You know, Joe Biden's going to bring everybody together and uh, accept all the dirt bags that support Trump. It's just, I think that part of this whole thing is just really, it really fascinates me that it's gotten so vicious and so personal against the actual American people, the voters. Unity means stamping out dissent. When, it, when you're talking about the Democratic mm-hmm. Convention, and the Democratic coalition, they can't talk about policy because they're not held. They're a motley crew, right? Look at everybody who was there this week. They don't even agree with each other. Barack Obama can't stand Joe Biden. Joe Biden can't stand Barack Obama. Michelle Obama really can't stand Kamala Harris. They don't agree on anything except orange man bad. That's it. That's all. And if they were to talk about policy, that motley crew would fall apart. So they have no choice but to do this. I will say this, though, Um, this whole idea, you know, and he sits down with David Muir on Good Morning America America and the interviews out today, right? They didn't ask Joe Biden a single thing about him perpetuating the hoax. And we talked about this when he launched on he and his campaign video launching his campaign. He said, I couldn't take it anymore once I saw him refer to neo-Nazis as very fine people, I just couldn't take it anymore, so I had to run. And then he gets smashed for that lie, even though the media helped perpetuate him. Big media helped perpetuate that lie. And then he repeats it in his acceptance speech. So on one hand, it's all about dignity and morality, Don. And on the other hand, if anything goes, you can tell not only lies, but dangerous lies. They that kind of lie is dangerous, like hands up, don't shoot, was dangerous. That leads to racial violence, balkanization, and bloodshed. And yet, so what they mean by unity is stamping out people who don't, who, who like, like me, who push back on that stuff. They'll just silence up, you know, everyone who's not 
you know, on board and get rid of them. That's what they mean by unity. Joe Biden is not a unifier. He never has been a unifier. Only on D.C. when he's making sausage and Kamala Harris, damn sure, (laughs) is no unifier. Nope, nope, not at all. Yeah, I agree with you. Those are dangerous things. The Jesse Smollett thing could have turned into a race war. Fortunately, it didn't. But let me me throw this at you because this is my theory, Rich, and I want to get your feedback on this. So you've got Joe Biden here, and you're talking about how he's unable to unify even his own side. I think that's why he couldn't talk any policies. Because he's still trying to get his, he's trying to get the Bernie people on board. He's trying to also appease the moderates. He's trying to pull in Republicans. If he takes a stand on something, Rich, he's going to tick off a third of of his own base. That's right. I mean, I've never, I've never seen anything like this before. Where he can't stand up and say, "Okay, I'm either for the Green Deal." Because then that's going to tick off a bunch of people in his base. And he can't say, I'm against the Green Deal, because that'll tick off the other people. I think he's in a really bad place here because of that lack of unity. Underscored by the one sentence in his speech outside of the national mask mandate, which actually referred to policy. And in the one sentence, he managed to promise working class people he will create millions of jobs for them, right? Even though he's going to decimate their industries in western Pennsylvania, Ohio, Iowa, Michigan. He's going to destroy all of those industries because he's trying to wink to the Green New Deal people, which brings in massive wind turbines. You know, he threw it all in one sentence and it made no, no, uh, sense at all. And by the way, he's going to fund it all with the money that he's going to get from repealing the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which, according to the Congressional Budget Office, finally coming around, admitted that it not only did not add to the deficit, but it helped to offset deficit gains elsewhere because the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was designed uh, correctly for, as a matter of policy. 50 years of data in the industrialized world on. If you stay within a certain range, low end 15%, high end 25%, you will actually generate more revenue in the long term. There's a maximizing ratio. Joe Biden is above that. He wants to raise that tax above the top range. So that would lead to less revenue. So somehow he's going to create all he's going to he's going to build all these wind turbines with the money he's going to lose by repealing his tax cuts and jobs tax. But he has to do that because, like you said, he's got to wink to everybody in really quick platitudes because otherwise yep. it all falls apart. He's got John Kasich trying to convince Republicans he's not. I know Joe. He's a good man. He won't go far left. And then 15 <laughs> minutes later, Bernie Sanders is up there saying Joe's going to be the most socialist president out there. I mean, it, none of it yeah. made sense. None of it made sense yeah. at all. The only well, thing that I just did is cr- you're a bad person if you don't vote for us. Exactly. Exactly. And I do want to just point out, he's not just going to build back, Rich. He's going to build back better. <laughs> what the hell does that oh even mean, Don? I call, I call it the plan. <laughs> the triple B. Anyway. Any, yeah, I, I, I don't get it. <laughs> so, so let's talk about this. We do have some good news this week. People can find it on peoplespunditdaily.com. Let's talk about the housing market. We're seeing not only a boom, but we're yeah. seeing it actually... Uh, come back even better. This is one of the first things that I've seen that's actually better than uh, pre-corona. Talk about it. Yeah, and uh, you know, also real quick, just to jump real quick on the pre-corona kind of thing. Retail e-commerce sales soared. S and P they uh, it set a new high, recovered all of its uh, losses pre-pandemic. The Nasdaq it closed uh, at its 35th record high for the year, uh, recovering all of that. And now with housing, which by the way helped to drive some of this. 
the housing market for people who uh, don't know was really like that last fourth cylinder of the Trump economy that was not firing at full force. And we would have been under Trump boom. We would have been really firing on all four cylinders if housing wasn't still underperforming. If you rewind the clock and look at December 2019, January 2020, it looked like things were really getting ready to pop. There was not going to be a slowdown without the stay-at-home orders. The Bureau of Economic Analysis made that crystal clear. This week in housing, and we just got a new story up basically. Uh, we cover every indicator separately, but uh, the, we did just a, a, a very in-depth look at the housing market in general, existing home sales posted another record gained on 24.7% after setting a previous record in June. It actually overtook it. And you guys can go in there if you watch that, if you uh, read that. Look at the comments from Lawrence June at the National Association of Realtors. Look at the chief economist, Robert Dietz, uh, at the National Association of Home Builders. This is not my opinion. This is and, and all of the charts and the series data, it's all up there. Um, existing home sales, by the way, they've, they are now up, like you said, pre, they exceeded pre-pandemic levels. We're now up year over year 8.7%. The housing market index, that gauges builder confidence. That, and, and by the way, all of these indicators not only beat expectations, but I mean really beat them. The high end of the forecast range. Nobody expected the uh, HMI this week, uh, Don, to come in six points higher at 78 in August. That's, the, that's a match for the all-time high and beat the consensus forecast badly. Also, you keep going, and that gauges builder confidence in the market for single-family homes. So if you see that there's a lot out there, you need to see groundbreaking and a housing starts building permits start to go. Well, I mean, that is a volatile report. You would expect it to really be crushed during something like the pandemic, but that did not happen. Housing starts up 22.6%. Building permits up 18.8%. New home sales soared 13.8%. That's the high. Now we're at a level that is the highest since before the forget about before the pandemic, before the Great Recession collapsed the housing market, July 2007. Uh, the month of May also revived higher. Uh, so just good news all the way around. Pending home sales. Uh, they surged three times the, the consensus forecast. The re- that was a record, 44.3%. That put us up year over year with contract signings, now 6.3%. The, p- the pending home sales index, the new one, that's due out this week coming up. But uh, you know, the ne- if you speak to the people at uh, the National Association of Realtors, who admittedly they are the housing lobby, right? But they are widely uh, you know recognized indicators. They will tell you that all of their forecasts, and that's all in the article, all of their forecasts have been raised. It went from abysmal dawn to the housing market being drugged back into the doldrums to for way beyond pre-pandemic levels. Yep, yep, absolutely good. Some some good news, and that we need we need as much as we can get when it comes to economic news. So, Rich, inside the numbers, what you got going on there, and what's coming up? Yeah, like I said, we got that big announcement coming up. We're going to be sharing, especially on Wednesday, guys. Keep uh, keep keep watching. On Wednesday, inside the numbers is real soon about the turn to a daily conversation over the latest polling results, fresh polling results, which is great. And uh, we'll also talk about what I was saying before, which is this unbelievably everybody's silent on it. This is always something that has thrown me off about the polling industry, Don, in, in public. 
it's very different when you get into the political sphere than it is in private when you're just talking about it like data researchers. And in the private industry itself, everybody knows there's a problem. And private, uh, publicly, on cable news, network news, on Twitter, the blue checks, everybody's pretending like this lead for Joe Biden is a sure dead thing, and there, hasn't been, there could be bigger problems this year than in 2016. I kid you not, and we're going to talk about that. Nobody's reaching millennial men. Nobody's reaching middle-aged working men. Everybody is getting – they're trying to extrapolate, right? And you can see it even in the Marquette poll, and we're going to go over this in detail. That is a reputable poll. They conduct it the best they can, but you can clearly see in the information – I praise him for transparently releasing. You can clearly see he is trying to take a middle-income worker in Milwaukee and extrapolate to the rest of the state because he couldn't reach anybody in Polk. He couldn't reach anybody in Rusk. The, the 7th Congressional District was completely untouched. Nobody knows what these people are doing, and I'm stunned that I'm, I'm going to apparently be the only one talking about this. We're just going to pretend. Yeah. It's all right. It's all been done thoroughly, I guess. Not over here on Inside the Numbers. Yep. Yep, all good stuff. All right, he is the editor of peoplesplanetdaily.com, the host of Inside the Numbers, Mr. Richard Barris. Rich, have a great weekend, my friend, and we will talk to you next week. You too. Talk to you guys next week. All the best. RNC up next. All the best. Sounds good to you as well. Yeah, the RNC this week, we'll see. I think we'll see a a huge contrast. You know, it's my job to watch those things too, and I just – I don't know. I just couldn't do it. I didn't want to sit and listen to uh, Michelle Obama talk. I sure as heck didn't want to listen to Hillary Clinton or Bill Clinton or just any of them. I mean, we know what they say. They're, they're, at this point, it's just zombies. But, but I think the key thing here to note is that Joe Biden's inability to bring that party together. And this was all actually, this was started back in 2016, right? Because Hillary really wasn't able to do that either, but they are even more divided than they are today. So you've got further extremes on the left and um, further extremes, I guess, on what would be considered the right for them now. But his inability to bring these people together means he can't come up with a position. They literally came out the other day and said, you kind of basically, it was kind of like the Nancy Pelosi thing. You got to pass it to find out what's in it. So you got to get him elected president to find out what he's going to do. That sounds a little scary to me. I don't know. I don't know what you think about that. Well, it is time for our weekly Vets in the Fight uh, special sit rep. This is a really good one, folks, by our good friends at Special Operations Speaks. They're all good, but I really want you to listen to this one because I think these guys really nail what's going on today in America. Here it is, Vets in the Fight. Hello, all you Vets in the Fight. This is David Miller with your weekly Special Operations Speaks Vets in the Fight sit-rep. Well, the Communist National Convention is over. And what are we left with? Hate Trump. That's it. That's the platform. Hate Trump and hold all responsible for his presidency accountable. That's us. A clear threat of repercussions against law-abiding Americans while felons, including murderers and rapists, go free to prey on innocence again. While insurgents, looters, and other assorted brown shirts are left to roam city streets mindlessly in search of victims. The depth of the left's debauchery is hard. No, No, impossible for sane people to fathom. Simply put, they are insane. 
insane with rage, the quest for power, and vengeance. These three psychoses comprise their plan of action and is disarmingly simple. Destroy all that is constitutional America and replace it with a total control of which Comrade Marx would be proud. They are dragging us into a communist dystopia. Allow me a few minutes to relate some personal experiences, and forgive me if I've already related these. I'm old. Leave me alone. I grew up next to a Czechoslovakian couple named Louis and Agnes, hard-working people that lived a simple country life. They escaped Czechoslovakia just ahead of the Soviet tanks. In the early 70s, a cousin and his wife came to visit. It had only taken them about 11 years to get a two-week visa and were very skeptical of all they saw. They asked how much of the vegetables in the garden had to be given over to the state. None, Lewis replied. The food we grow is ours. The state gets none. The cousin was incredulous. They drove into a nearby town to show their visitors around and do some shopping. Once home, the cousin stated that he had heard about these government towns built for propaganda purposes and knew they were only a mirage. He insisted on seeing all the poor, starving, unemployed Americans living in slums, the streets littered with garbage and rotting hulks of vehicles. Lewis understood and produced a road atlas and offered to take them anywhere within a day's journey. Three sites were selected, and after their return home, the cousin and his wife were silent, deep in thought. As their visit came to a close several days later, both the cousin and his wife were in tears. Sobbing, actually. They didn't want to return home, but they had to because their children and a grandparent were still in communist control, held as collateral until their return. The cousin and his wife left, and as far as I know, were never able to return. There's more to this story, but you get the idea. More than eight years later, I would come face to face, literally, with a communist nightmare. I was stationed in Schweinfurt and Würzburg, Germany from early 1982 until uh, mid-1986. My primary mission during those four-plus years was to surveil and patrol the west-east German border, the Landesgrenze. The hundreds of miles of electrified chain-link fencing, armed with shotgun mines and topped with razor wire. The minefields, dog runs, and guard towers resembled not so much a border delineating two countries, but a concentration camp, and that's what East Germany was. Reality would only sink in when I visited Berlin. There was a small museum at the infamous Checkpoint Charlie that told the story of the indomitable human spirit thirsting for freedom. Most striking was a tiny two-door East German Trabant. The fuel tank had been modified to hold a bit of fuel and a three- or four-year-old child. That covert op was successful. Most were not. The difference between the Allied sectors and the Communists could not have been any more stark. The East Germans walked in fear and were constantly watched and recorded. Their homes and other buildings were poorly built, and the East German government even controlled their version of Coca-Cola, lest any Western influence creep in. It was horrible, by the way. This Stygian landscape is where we are headed. In the words of Dumitru Sandru, who escaped communist Romania, quote, the communists don't own anything. They own everything, end quote. Let us remember that truth as we hear the impossible promises of our own communist Democrat Party of free health care, free college, and free housing. The Red Wolf is off-leash and coming fast. We'll revisit the communists in a sit-rep soon. Be armed, be trained, and have a plan. This is David Miller for Special Operations Speaks and Vets in the Fight Everywhere. Keep your powder dry and your hatchet scoured. 
If we take a knee and bow to anyone, let it be to God Almighty and never to man, that he may keep and bless our exceptional republic. Deo Presso Liber. Have you ever been frustrated when you go to the doctor and are asked to fill out forms over and over again? And you're asked for information that you don't remember, or you have to submit the same form to multiple organizations. And each time you are asked to fill out the same form by hand. What about filling out business or legal forms, all manually? Maybe you've spent a lot of time filling out a form, made sure that everything is correct, and oops, the person who re-entered the data into the computer system made several mistakes. Why couldn't you do it from home in advance, where you could find all of the necessary documents? Now you can at Formateer.com. The next time you need a form filled out, the information can be found right at your fingertips. If you're an individual, you may find some forms ready to use on Formateer.com. Or we may be able to create a custom form for you at a very low cost or no cost at all. If you're a small business, Formateer.com will be happy to create a set of forms or a complete data entry solution for your business needs. If you're a business that provides software, IT solutions, or both to another business, Formateer.com has a great solution for you as well. Our parent company, RenderX, provides software and solutions to a very diversified group, from individuals to Fortune 500 companies. Even the United States government budget is formatted with RenderX software. With Formateer.com, customers can fill out forms from their homes in advance when and where they have all the required information, or they can edit information that has has changed if they filled out the form previously. No writing for them, no data re-entry for you. Form filling solutions for businesses or individuals at Formateer.com. That's Formateer.com. And here is our newly remodeled hotel business center. Lobby disk drive computer, dot matrix printer, and modem. A modem? That's right. Dial up. Hello. Need a new way to work when you're on the road? Regis has over 1,100 professional business lounges, access to meeting rooms with video conference studios, private offices you can book by the hour or day, and a mobile app to find Regis locations. Regis is the new way to work. Call now and get two months free. Your mom's got your back. Your friends have your back. Your dog's definitely got your back. But who's got your back when you need legal help? We do. We're LegalZoom. And over the last 10 years, we've helped millions of people protect their families and run their businesses. We have the right people on hand to answer your questions, backed by a trusted network of attorneys. So visit us today for legal help you can count on. LegalZoom. Legal help is here. This is Don Smith from The Don Smith Show. As a conservative talk show host, there is one undeniable truth. Nobody is more uplifting and inspiring than the Democrats. I've always envied them for this. In fact, one could almost say with the new crop that has just come into Congress, they light up our lives. The world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. Radical means call me a radical. 
Maybe we shouldn't be eating a hamburger for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Chuck Woolery, you're listening to the Don Smith Show, where it's okay to be a conservative. Saturday so far. Again, coming up, we have Mr. Newt Gingrich. But right now, a pleasure to bring back my next guest. He's been on here several times. He is Major General Paul Valley, Stand Up America U.S. Foundation. Great organization and always a pleasure to have him on the program. General, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you, Don. Happy to be back with you after, well, I guess a period of time here since we've done the last show. It has been, yeah, no, I, okay, so in between, I want to get right into this, and, and you're the first person I know, uh, you, well, both of you, uh, that have actually had COVID-19, and for my listeners who don't right. know, um, this happened, and so, yeah, I kind of left you alone there a little while. Uh, tell, tell me a little <laughs> bit of what, what, ha- what happened. Well, I, I try to trace it back uh, to a trip to uh, Arizona. Uh, and uh, went on Delta Airlines uh, back. Uh, but but you, it's hard to trace it. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. we're here in Montana. We've had so many visitors come up from uh, California, Texas, Arizona. Uh, and so it's really hard to trace. But once you get it, uh, you know you have it because it's uh, it's, it's, it's just like the flu. It's a, like a terrible flu where you lose mm-hmm. your taste buds, uh you got to watch your oxygen level, of course. Uh, you feel that uh, nagging nausea all the time, uh, and you get very tired. So I was in isolation, COVID isolation, for seven days, and, boy, that was no fun. Wow, yeah, I don't imagine. So So but, you pretty uh, much knew right you, – you knew right away pretty much then. Well, I, you sort of, but, you know, on this, uh, every trip I take, I seem to get something. And so I thought maybe it was just uh, picking up one of those bugs when you travel. But yep. then it got really serious, and that's when I had to go to the hospital. I knew it was, it was much more than just uh, the flu bug. So how long did it take for you to, you know, from start to finish to, to actually, you know, get over it? Well, you, you, what happens is you have a period of time after you're given the medications I was on remetazir uh, the last part, and then you, you get off and you go back to normal. 
It's what they call shedding the virus, shedding. And so mm-hmm. that can last weeks and weeks and weeks. It's not that you necessarily uh, have it per se. I'm not sure the medical uh, analysis of that, but you shed that over a period of time. But it's like now I still get tired very easy. Uh, yep. You still yeah. feel that uh, uh, nausea each day. But I'm feeling better each day as I shed this thing. But it's well, glad I'm I don't want to get, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm just glad to hear you guys are doing better. So let's get into this DNC this week. Uh, General, not a lot of stuff on foreign policy. I have no idea what foreign policy would look like under a a President Joe Biden. Uh, What was your takeaway of of the week's festivities? Well, when you look at that, it's interesting. But even, even when you look at Nancy Pelosi and Schumer and the Democrats in Congress, they never talk about that. They never talk about uh, threats to America, strategies. Uh, and uh, it's sort of interesting uh, that they completely, uh, uh, even in uh, Joe Biden's uh, address, they don't mention the insurrectionists, the mounting crime, what's happened in Portland, Seattle, uh, the rest of the cities. They completely ignore the crime spree, the insurrectionists, the uh, uh, the Marxist-led uh, Black Lives Matter group, uh, they just stay away from it. And they do that intensely in order to continue to blame Trump for everything, blame mm-hmm. him for everything, and not take any responsibility. And it's the same thing with these Democratic mayors and uh, governors. Why the people? Yep. Why we don't have some mechanism in these governments to relieve these people of their duties for negligence. I mean, that's what's astounding in America, that we allow these leaders, uh, elected leaders, to remain in positions of power uh, when they're not protecting the people and not following uh, their oaths. I, I just don't get it. That's a flaw in our system. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I want to talk about one thing, because I, this is something I kind of want to just bounce my my thoughts on this, because we didn't hear, General, we didn't hear anything about policy. Like, again, we didn't hear anything about foreign policy. No. Uh, what is he actually no. going to do for the, for the economy? What is he actually going to do for, supposedly he has this master COVID-19 plan, and apparently he's only going to share it with people if he gets elected. But uh, putting that aside for a second, let's talk about this a little bit. Because I think it, it was all about unity, right? So it was going to bring us all together, yet if you support sure. Trump, you're a horrible, rotten person, and so which hardly sounds like unity to me. But Joe Biden has been unable to unite his own base. And I think that's why we didn't hear any policy. You take the Green New Deal. If he were to come down in favor of the Green New Deal, that's going to tick off some of his base. If he comes down against it, it's going to tick off the other side of his base. I think his failure to unite his own party is why he can't even take a stand on anything right now. What are your thoughts on that? Well, no, I think it's true. But still, Don, when you go back, if you're a true leader, and I've said this time after time, You have to look through the reality prism, not a political prism, to solve the problems that we may have in in our society, whether they be financial, uh, whether they be uh, structurally, uh, you know, within our our roads, uh, or anything you can think of uh, within where government has some type of responsibility. And to solve those things, you have to look through the reality prism. And that's what President Trump does. But Joe Biden and the others, and mostly all the politicians, even in Congress, the Senate, they try to solve these things putting a political spin on it. 
rather than saying, okay, here's the situation, here's the problem, let's analyze this, and let's come up with some solutions. And uh, yep. they all stay away from the military. They stay, they stay away from China and the military threat there. Uh, they completely have stayed away from the cartels. And so they're not addressing the real problems and threats, what I call outside, well, domestic threats and, and what I also call external threats to the United States. Mm-hmm. So well, let's talk. We've talked a lot uh, over the years here now about China, right? The ever-growing um, threat from China, uh, trying to obviously they, they want to displace the U.S. I think President Trump has taken a, a strong stance, and it's the first time I've seen it probably in my lifetime. A strong stance against China. What does what does the U.S.-China relationship? What happens to that if Joe Biden were to win? Well, I'm sure uh, he, he would do everything to concede, uh, basically, to uh, President Xi. He doesn't have enough courage, I, I don't think, or enough acumen, enough leadership ability to stand tall uh, with these other leaders in the world like Putin, Xi, and, of course, uh, the, the gentleman in North Korea. Uh, Trump does. Uh, he, he can stand tall, but... Uh, uh, they would concede, they would give in. Uh, Biden would be a very weak leader, I think. You can just see uh, from his, uh, the way he talks now, uh, his uh, lack of, of, of uh, a strong stance on protecting America. He, and it's not in his vocabulary. Uh, so I think uh, that would be a very dire, dire situation uh, in a world that uh, has many, many problems. Uh, yeah, we have to stand tall, stand for our own country, protect our citizens, uh, and we—they haven't even brought up the tremendous uh, uh, things that are being created by the cartels south of our border, the six different cartels, drug trafficking. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, uh, sex trafficking. Uh, the drug cartels are controlling most of the medicines now that the Chinese used to. But you don't hear it. Yep. Nobody talks about it. But yet it's infiltrating our city more and more uh, each and every year. And, of course, it's tied in with uh, illegals uh, coming across our border as well, though we tightened that up quite well with the building of the, of the partial wall so far. Yep, exactly. Well, you know, and it, what, we're, what we do here, General, in the media is uh, we hear about how the polls and Joe Biden, he's running away with it. Another thing they don't talk about is this, and I think this is really important to this election, and it's the groundswell of support in battleground states. You've got a great article Correct. you just posted to Stand Up America U.S. Foundation, which everybody you can check it out at StandUpAmericaUS.org. StandUpAmericaUS.org. But talk a little bit about this. The groundswell of support in battleground states, uh, the majority, the sleeping majority is awakening in America. Talk a little bit about your article. Well, uh, let me take Pennsylvania for a good example. Uh, and that's where I'm from, and I've had a lot of contacts. So I've had some people that have been up there uh, uh, the last 30 days, for example, Don. And there's Trump mm-hmm. signs all over the place. You don't see any <laughs> Biden signs at all. And then you see Trump go into uh, Biden's old hometown near Scranton, which I know very well. He only lived there for a short time, but he still claims it is his home, of course. Uh, but the groundswell we see throughout the, the mountain states, for example, uh, particularly here in Montana and other, it's Trump everywhere. You look at the boat armadas down in Florida, uh, the boat armada they had at Lake Havasu, Arizona. Uh, so that's that groundswell that I've written about. Uh, that uh, shows that uh, his base is actually expanding. And the numbers that came out last week, there's a 10% jump in his support 
of, uh, of uh, Latinos as well uh, as our, our black population, African-American population. So uh, uh, that's the groundswell that I'm talking about, and it's going to continue to get stronger uh, with uh, up, up until the election. The, the key thing we've got to worry about in the election is just voter fraud, mail-in voting. Yep. That, that's our biggest threat. We've got to put a lot of money. The Federal Election Commission has really got to stand tall on this thing, working with the states. But uh, we cannot let this election uh, go the uh, go the wrong way for either candidate uh, due to um, fraud uh, in our mailing um, in our voting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've we've actually received two ballots for two different people. Neither of them live here, but we have two ballots that we've received uh, for other people. It wouldn't take much for an unscrupulous person to fill that out and uh, and mail that in. And I don't know whether they would catch it or not. So I think, yeah, I think the mail-in voting is uh, definitely something that we need to be concerned about. What do you think of this show that's going on here today? We've got Congress comes back today and they're going to save the post office because apparently Monday we won't get mail <laughs> unless they're here today. Well, what do you think about that? I mean, this is, come on, this is a pretty, uh, this is total political show here, right? Well, it is a political show, but we, we've known for years as they track the accounting in the Postal Service and losing millions uh, in one year up billions uh, over a period of time that we've lost uh, in the Postal Service, where we've seen a very effective, cost-effective uh, mail service with FedEx and, and UPS. So they can be done at a profit. And people don't understand, you can still have the USPS run a profit, but what that profit means there's extra money then to do more things with, to build better systems, better computerized systems. That's what you do with money you earn. If not, you're taking it out of existing tax dollars. So uh, you've heard some of the uh, Democrats complain, well, it's not a profit-making organization. Well, it should be that they're making some money. In other words, if it costs $0.10 to mail something, which it doesn't anymore, but uh, and we add another penny on so that there's an extra penny in the pot there to do something with in the future. That's how you have to look at our government today, not to keep digging down in the well and taking all of these – uh, different programs we have and uh, manage them uh, with a loss of uh, revenue each year. They at least yep. should, should yep. meet their revenue standards and uh, make some money or bring in some yep. uh, profits that can be used for future uh, projects or operations. Yeah, we got to get away from this magic money tree theory <laughs> that we seem to govern under. But yeah. I got to talk about this because since the last time I had you on the program, you also had some other exciting news. And I want to talk, I want you to have us tell us, tell my listeners about this turning point USA. What's going on with turning point USA and major general Paul Valley. Well, that's why I was down in Arizona. I was with Charlie Kirk and uh, I'm on the advisory board uh, for Charlie and uh, turning point USA is on. Oh my goodness. I'm not sure the numbers now, probably over 225 campuses. Uh, he actually has more chapters now than there are sororities or fraternities on all of our campuses. Uh, wow. The other uh, program they have that was introduced uh, is Divest, Divest, uh, basically education. And that means that uh, stop pouring money into places like Yale, and Harvard that have uh, millions and millions of dollars in their trust and continue to soak the American families uh, uh, for educational costs. Uh, it's just terrible how they've been ripping off uh, the U.S. Uh, students and, uh, and families for years. 
And so basically it's telling if, if you don't have uh, First Amendment rights on campuses, for example, they don't get any money at all from the federal government or from benefactors. And that's what the Divest U is all about. So there's yep. some great yeah. programs. Everybody support that uh, Turning Point USA. They're doing great things because our education system has caused a lot of this socialist rhetoric and social, socialist movement in our society when these professors uh, continue to teach uh, uh, socialism and the advantages of it, uh, and even communists, uh, to our students yeah. on campus. It's just horrible. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's something uh, we've talked about a lot on this show in general. And just you mentioned Yale University. Their endowments are over $29 billion, and we're still sending Billions, money. Yeah, you go, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go, go up to Harvard, and it's $38.3 billion. So, yeah, we should keep oh, sending them boy. some money from, from that magic money tree, I guess. But So I want to – Yeah, and then they sell for 70000 a year, Don, uh, uh, yep. or more, $70,000, a year per student. And the students yep. and, and no, families go in debt. And nobody talks about that part of it, General. When it comes to we got to pay out these student loans and all these things, nobody talks about the fact that, just like you mentioned, they continue to charge massive. They could pay off everybody's student loan and still have money left in their endowment. Sure they could, yeah. No, it's been a, it's been a corrupt state of affairs for, for decades now, and it's grown and grown each year. And the trustees Absolutely. don't care. They just continue to get as many uh, uh, endowment uh, monies coming in as they can. And so that's why divesting of the Indies University is very important. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an important program for the future for our students. Yeah, it really is. It makes me feel good to know that uh, Charlie and his group, including you, are in, in our schools and, and talking to the young kids. So let's talk about this Stand Up America U.S. Foundation. I look forward to your newsletter. Uh, tell my, my listeners a little bit about it. How can they sign up and how can they help your organization? Well, we, uh, we've been around since 2005, and our organization, the Stand Up America U.S. Foundation, our website is standupamericaus.org. Uh, you can contact me directly at standupamericausa1 at gmail. But we uh, do a lot of things, including uh, uh, a lot of um, what I'll call articles, studies, analysis, uh, um, many of these, which go to the president, uh, like our border control plan, uh, as well as a military strategy. So uh, we have pretty good intelligence uh, that we base our uh, our articles on. It comes out, for example, we did 12 different articles on the Chinese Communist Party uh, that are on the website. So we do TV interviews, radio interviews like today, uh, and we're involved with 20 other organizations in America that we help support and work with. All great stuff, StandUpAmericaUS.org. General, so glad to hear that you guys are both doing great now and you're on the mend, and uh, always a pleasure to have you on the program. Have a great weekend, and we'll do this again. Thank you, Don. All right. Major General Paul Valley, StandUpAmericaUS.org. Uh, super happy to hear that he's teamed up with Charlie Kirk. I think the work that those guys are doing is just fantastic. Uh, you know, that's the, These kids are getting indoctrinated by the left, and great to have some conservative voices to talk to. And, 
I, I, I almost wonder if the end effect of all this is going to be more conservatives in the future as um, kids start to reject this. I think especially with what we've watched through these COVID-19 times, uh, I think that maybe sways some people and we're seeing what's going on in Seattle and Portland and uh, all over the country. Look at Chicago. You know, we read, we read earlier, we read the list of what was going on in Portland where there's six things now that they're not going to prosecute people for. It's perfectly okay to riot. Harassment's okay. Escape in the third degree is just fine. Criminal trespass in the first and second degree, not a problem there. Disorderly conduct in the second degree and interfering with a peace officer, not a problem any longer in Portland. Folks, this is all happening at the same time that we are seeing a 24% increase in murders over just last year alone. So uh, I don't think that ends well. Um, We'll see how it plays out, but so far not so good. So we'll see. But, you know, we're, we're talking about schools. What, what I've always said about this, and, I, and I, this goes back to former President Barack Obama, who I think what he really did was he emboldened not just the people like the Antifas and the Black Lives Matter and all the people we were seeing looting, burning things, um, but it's mostly peaceful, right? The fires are mostly peaceful, apparently. Uh, but what's going on is they've exposed themselves. They're no longer hiding behind uh, whether it's socialism or I mean you've got a you've got a candidate who almost won the nomination on their side, uh, who's an admitted socialist. I love I love when liberals tell me that really upsets them to be called a socialist. It's like then doesn't he upset you? And they're Bernie people. <laughs> they support Bernie, but they don't like conservatives calling him socialist. Well. Bernie calls himself a socialist, and sometimes you should really, I don't know, kind of believe him. Sometimes they accidentally tell the truth. This is going on in Tennessee, and I saw this story actually last week, and I was just blown away, but they posted it here this morning on Fox News. Tennessee mom says parents asked to sign ridiculous waiver they will not eavesdrop on kids' online lessons. So there's some unintended consequences, I think, to liberalism, to socialism, communism, uh, all these things we're seeing perpetuated on the left right now. And this is one of them. Because, see, now, now you've got kids who are at home, right? So you've got the parents there. They can overhear what's happening. They're certainly more involved than probably they normally would be if they were off at work. The kids were off somewhere else at school. This is, this is mind-blowing, though. A Tennessee school district is under fire for asking parents to sign a form agreeing not to eavesdrop eavesdrop on their kids' virtual classes over concerns they could overhear confidential information. Just, just that. If I just stopped right there and didn't read any more, should scare the hell out of everyone. Eavesdrop? They're your kids. Who was it? Who was the journalist that said a few years back, I don't know, maybe six years ago, who made the comment that the kids don't belong to the parents, they're, they actually belong to the society, right? Remember that? They weren't kidding. Again, once in a while, you need to listen to these people and actually believe that what they're saying is really true. When they said abolish the police, everybody said, well, they don't really mean abolish. Yes, they do. When they said defund the police, well, they didn't really mean. Yes, they did. They're actually doing it. So um, if we took the media out of the, the equation, probably more people would actually believe when people say things that they're actually being honest in this case. After significant pushback, Rutherford County Schools is allowing parents to tune in with permission, with permission from the teacher, but they can't record the classes. Catch, are, you, are you catching the vibe of this? It's ridiculous. It's so hypocritical because they've been data mining our children for years. Compliments of Common Core. Lori Cardoza Moore, founder of Proclaiming Justice to the Nations, said on Fox and Friends weekend Saturday, what are they trying to hide? What is the problem? Why won't they let us sit in? The homeschool mom of five asked. 
Obviously, because they are teaching our children propaganda that they should not be teaching, she said. They're trying to socialize our children. Absolutely. She added, we have had a major problem in education, not just here in Tennessee, but across the country where they are indoctrinating our children with propaganda. So once again, this is why I am so happy that, that people like Charlie Kirk are out there doing what they're doing. General's on his team there, and that's absolutely fantastic. But you've got teachers who are very, very concerned that whatever they teach the kids, you know, the parents will overhear it, and especially conservative parents, right? They'll overhear it, and they might correct the teacher. See, you can't have that. <laughs> They're asking parents to sign waivers to get permission to listen to what their kids are doing in school. What has been one of the common themes of the left, of the teachers' unions, uh, of all these people for many, many years now? It's this, that the parents aren't involved enough. Right. That, that's always the problem is the teachers, you know, they can only do so much. We really need the parents to step up and get involved. So here's what happens. Got homeschooling. Parents get involved and the teachers are going, whoa, we don't want the parents involved. So which one is it? Do you want the parents more involved or do you not want the parents more involved? Because it cannot be both. This is it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Here's how the school district responded uh, to Fox News on this story. We are aware of the concern that has been raised about the distance learning letter that was sent to parents. James Evans, communications director for Rutherford County Schools, said Evans added, we have issued new guidelines, new guidance to principals that parents can assist their children during virtual group lessons with permission of the instructor, but should refrain from sharing or recording any information about other students in the classroom. Now, I get that part of it, right? Yeah, yeah, you don't want to say, yeah, whatever. And little Billy said this. I get all of that part of it. But they need permission to be involved in the education of their children. This is unbelievable. Cardoza Moore said this is because teachers are pushing social justice instead of reading, writing, and math. But they don't want to be held accountable to the parents. Egg Exactly. Again, the big thing was always that the parents, we need more parent involvement. The problem is we don't have, the parents aren't involved with the kids. So when the parents do get involved, the teachers go, whoa, the parents might actually hear what we're really teaching these kids. That's the reality of it. Everybody listening to this program knows that's the reality of it. It is what it is. Crazy times indeed. So great to have General Paul Valley on the program. Again, right after the break, we're going to play my interview with Newt Gingrich from a few months back, talking about a great new book that he's got out, but also basically everything that's going on with the coronavirus, with the government, with the overreach of control, all these things that we're seeing on a daily basis. So quick commercial break, and we will be back with Mr. Newt Gingrich. In salute to those who've protected us and our families, we'd like to return the favor. Military veterans and their families get 30 days free and 15% off LifeLock identity theft protection. Sleep number beds with Sleep IQ technology adjust any way you want it. 
the bed that moves you, only at a Sleep Number store. Let's say you need to take care of legal matters. Wouldn't it be nice if there was an easier, less expensive option than using a traditional lawyer? Well, LegalZoom came up with a better way. We took the best of the old and combined it with modern technology. Together, you get quality services on your terms with total customer support. LegalZoom documents have been accepted in all 50 states, and they're backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So go to LegalZoom.com today and see for yourself. It's law, but just makes sense. Wouldn't it be nice if there was an easier, less expensive option than a traditional lawyer? At LegalZoom, you get personalized services for your family and your business that's 100% guaranteed. So go to LegalZoom.com today for personalized, affordable legal protection. Been looking for an online gathering place? You know, a familiar screen does everything you're used to, except give you grief for being a conservative? You've got to try the Tea Party community. At TPC, you'll know how everything works from the very first minute, and you'll probably find a lot of friends who are already there. Organize, communicate, share ideas, upcoming events, pictures and videos, the Tea Party community connects and empowers like-minded, politically conservative people like you. Sign up today at teapartycommunity.com. Building owners, you got to clean up your act. You got to retrofit. You got to save energy. If you don't do it by 2030, there'll be serious fines as high as a million dollars or more for the biggest buildings. And this mandate is going to guarantee that we reduce emissions. We're going to ban the classic glass and steel skyscrapers. It's enough there that any other person who has um, engaged in those acts um, would certainly uh, have been indicted. to defeat Trump and his racism and his sexism and his homophobia. This is a time for the American people to come together in the fight for economic justice, social justice, racial justice, and environmental justice. And that is, that is what this campaign is about. I think most Americans, not just Democrats, would agree with it. We all, anybody who's got a half a brain, agrees that there is climate change and that human activity has caused it, and we better do something about it or we're going to be cooked, or certainly our children are going to be cooked. Just because I work at home doesn't mean I want to look like I do. That's why I'm building my corporate image with a Regis virtual office. I simply use one of Regis's 750 high-profile business addresses as my own. My calls are answered by a professional receptionist in my company's name. And when I need to meet, Regis offers conference rooms and furnished offices. With all this and more from just $150 a month, that works for me. So try it today, and you'll even get one month free. Just call 888-OFFICES or visit Regis.com. That's R-E-G-U-S.com. Hi, this is former Congressman, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Alan West. Hi, this is Benny Shapiro, New York Times bestselling author of Bullies. Hi, I'm Charlie Daniels, and I'm on the Don Smith Show, where it is okay. In fact, it's wonderful to be a conservative.
It is a real honor to have my next guest on, Mr. Newt Gingrich. He is the former Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, host of the Newt's World podcast at Gingrich360.com, and the author of over 40 books, including his latest, Trump and the American Future, Solving the Great Problems of Our Time. Mr. Speaker, welcome to the Don Smith Show. It's great to be with you. Well, it's a real honor. certainly interesting time. They absolutely are. Yeah, I think, you know, one one of the things right off the bat, let's just talk about this. Your book is so timely. I mean, the things that it covers, obviously, you started this book before uh, the real current situation that we're facing right now. But talk a little bit about the relevance of that compared to now what we're actually seeing. I mean, the book really describes it. It's really funny. I, I started out to write Trump and the American Future as kind of a handbook for people who wanted to explain what was going on, you know, give them facts, figures, context. And we had it almost completed at the end of February, which, if you remember, was sort of a triumphant period for, for President Trump. Yeah. Lowest black unemployment rate in history, lowest Latino unemployment rate, incomes going up, uh, successful negotiations with China. And then, boom, all of this happened. Uh, and I do a, a podcast that's available for free at Gingrich 360. And in early February, I interviewed uh, Dr. Fauci, who at the time wasn't very concerned. I uh, thought it would be about the size of well, the SARS epidemic because the Chinese Communist Party had been lying to everybody. Uh, and so suddenly it all blew up. And I found I had to go back and spend a good bit of March rewriting parts of the book because the world I had described had changed so decisively that the book would have looked goofy. Uh, if I had not, you know, gone back and, and edited it. Uh, however, it did turn out, it's like there's a chapter, for example, on how much liberals uh, dislike the police and like criminals. That chapter is amazingly accurate for what we're living through right now. And there's a chapter on the radicals in the House representatives. And since the book came out, uh, they, they have uh, passed a $3 trillion bill, H.R. 6800, that is the most radical legislation ever passed. So there are places in the book where it really does look like uh, it, was, it really sort of laid out what has turned out to, to be actually happening. Exactly. Well, yeah, and I think what, one of them really, Mr. Speaker, that really stuck out to me, uh, talking about describing what's going on now, was intolerant tolerance. I mean, I think that really says a lot, and it really sums up. We can watch it on TV every night. Talk a little bit about that. Well, what you have is a, a left. Uh, Theodore White wrote about this as early as 1972 when he said uh, that the uh, liberal ideology had begun, it had become a liberal theology uh, that you couldn't differ from it. It was a religious you know, cult. Uh, and so, you know, you have some guy who, or some woman who, who writes the wrong word and they get fired. Uh, you have somebody who reads uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jailer, and he gets suspended as a college professor. Um, you know, you say all lives matter, and that clearly is totally unacceptable now to the mob. So what you have is a, an intellectual mob parallel to the physical mob, and the intellectual mob is coercive and totalitarian. It's exactly uh, the Leninist model in Russia or the Maoist model in China. And, uh, and this is one of the great dangers of the election this fall. If these people get, gain real power, uh, they will do everything they can to make sure that uh, nobody's allowed to dissent and nobody's allowed to offer an alternative. And it, it really is Orwell's 1984 and his book on um, Animal Farm come to life 
when you have these kind of, of totalitarian people who are prepared to dictate to you what you are allowed to think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about this because you're a history buff. I mean, I've read a number of your books, and um, you're excellent at detailing history and what's taken place in this country. We're watching our history be erased. But I want to talk about this because in the book, you say that this election represents the most decisive choice Americans will make since 1860. Of course, that Abraham Lincoln ultimately led to the U.S. Civil War. Why is this election as serious and as vital as that one? Well, because I think when if you think of not just Biden, but you think of a Biden-Pelosi-Schumer team, and if we give power to the House, the White House, and the Senate to the radicals, uh, they will, within two years, change this country so dramatically that we may never recover. I mean, if you look at the disaster California is becoming, if you look at Seattle, uh, if you look at uh, Mayor de Blasio, who's probably the worst mayor in the country, uh, who in, in the face of several weeks of rising violent crime and murders and shootings has decided to cut a billion dollars out of the police force and not hire the 1,300 additional police that were planned. Um, these people, I think, are out of touch with reality, but they have real power. Uh, the, 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 you look at the uh, Minneapolis City Council, which voted to abolish the police, while three of the council people have taxpayer security uh, at a personal level. Um, it's just it's, it's it's crazy what we're seeing, but they do have real power. This is not like a, a movie, uh, and I think if they get that kind of power over the whole country, they will make a total mess within two or three years. But they'll try to do it in a way that they can't be beaten at the polls. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And hey, this is something that I think is really important as well. Also, kind of as an historical thing, but we've seen changes in our education system throughout the years. You've got a chapter that's really kind of dedicated to something that I think is really important because there's a difference between these two words. So I want you to talk a little bit about from education to learning because those are two completely different things. Yeah, I think there there, there are two parts to that. The first is to recognize how big the failure is in the current system, particularly the big city schools, where the unions have protected people who are incompetent, and where, for example, in Baltimore, which has the fourth most expensive school system in the country, uh, there are entire buildings in which not a single student, not one, can pass the state exam. Uh, so you're ruining the lives of the children. Uh, you're paying off the union for, for not doing anything. Uh, and the union has so much political power, it's almost impossible to reform it, which is why I'm passionately for school choice and believe parents should not, their children should not be trapped in buildings that don't work. So that's one level. But the other level is with all the technology we have, and this may be where uh, the, the virus may in fact have triggered a revolution without meaning to, uh, you can learn in a thousand ways. You don't have to go and sit in a room. Uh, and let somebody lecture you at their convenience. There are a thousand different ways to learn online, to learn with mentors, uh, to learn by taking short courses. And it's very interesting that the government this week, the Trump administration this week, announced that they were changing from a degree-based system for hiring to a skills-based system. So they're not going to ask you, did you sit long enough in a classroom to get a degree? They're going to ask you, did you actually learn enough to do something? And that's a revolution that's really important, and we'll put the emphasis back on learning rather than on just sitting around. 
Exactly. Yes. I, I love that part. So obviously we talked about this at the very beginning. We talked about COVID-19, how it's changed since you started writing the book. Uh, um, it, so it's a big part of the book. But I want to talk about this. Things have changed. I mean, even as you've gone through the book and even from, I mean, two weeks ago, it's changing on a daily basis. We see kind of people's freedoms being uh, suppressed and uh, in some cases, people asking for their freedoms to be taken away and the freedoms of others. So what would you say is the most important aspects of the pandemic that people should learn from and focus on going forward? Well, I think the most important thing to learn is that the um, propaganda media, which you know, a generation ago was news media, but isn't anymore. Uh, the propaganda media is so desperate to defeat Trump that they are just playing totally misreporting what's going on. Uh, and they're trying to create hysteria because they think with hysteria, they'll keep the economy tied up. And if they keep the economy tied up, they think they'll beat Trump. So they're deeply opposed to opening up the economy. Uh, plus, there's just a pattern in the news media today that, you know, hysteria, you're the weatherman, you hope there's a hurricane coming because a lot more people will watch the Weather Channel. Uh, yeah. But the fact is, from what I've seen anyway, um, the number one reason we have a lot more cases is the sheer scale of testing. And what we're discovering is, with 500,000-plus tests a day now, um, we're, we're finding people who had the disease and didn't know it. And so I wonder yeah. we have to ask the question, wait a second. If they had a mild enough case that they did not know they had it, why should we be panicking? But, of course, the media takes every single number and says, well, if you just found 300 people, uh, and, and that means it's a crisis. Well, none of the 300 people went to the hospital. And, in fact, of the, of the ones who are asymptomatic, none of them even knew they had the disease till you tested them. Yep. And yet it's typical of the way the media has reacted. They also are desperate to not relate the current spike uh, with the demonstrators. Even though in yeah. a lot of places, you can literally take the two weeks and go back and figure out which demonstration led to this. And it's just very blatantly obvious. It really is. It really is. Mr. Speaker, great book. The book is Trump and the American Future, Solving the Great Problems of Our Time. You can also follow Mr. Gingrich at uh, I'm sorry, Gingrich360.com. It is uh, Newt's World Podcast. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for writing this book. I think it's really important, and I strongly urge my listeners to go out, check it out, pick it up uh, wherever great books are sold. Mr. Gingrich, thank you so much for your time, and have a great day, sir. Great, great to be with you. Take care. All right. That was my sit down with Newt Gingrich. Uh, great guy. I mean, you know, you look back through the history of our government. I'm a fiscal conservative. So one thing that's been disappointing to me throughout this, and of course, some of this now is the uh, is the coronavirus and all these things. But one of the things I was a little I've been disappointed with through the first term of President Trump is the fiscal responsibility aspect of it. That's something he's always pointed out. And um, I was always kind of on the same page with him on that for uh, throughout the years before he became President Trump. But uh, anyway, I get it. Coronavirus has a, a little bit of an impact. Um, so, uh, well, a big impact. But anyway, uh, too much spending. Like to see that get under control. Newt Gingrich was the last guy who actually ran some somewhat of a balanced budget. And uh, I think we need to sometime, at some point, we need to get back to that. But I think we're too far beyond that. You know, watching the whole circus show here today, you've got Congress coming back and they're, they're going to save the post office. And folks, Mail was going to still go out Monday. These people, this is a political show. They're coming back. They're saying that the president's attacking the 
a postal service, and heaven forbid we should try to not lose billions of dollars a year. So I give them the big plus on that for, for somebody finally trying to fix this. It's been going on for, what, 50 years now, so it's not like it's a brand new thing. Um, but this show of coming back, when they won't come back to finish the, the, you know, the passage of the bill to help out the American people and businesses and all these kind of things, boy, you throw the post office in there, you make it a political spectra- spectacle, and uh, they're on a plane. They're on their way back. They're there now, and they're playing this, oh, we've got to save the post office. Name one government organization, name a single one in your lifetime that ever just stopped functioning one day because they ran out of money. Everything in the government goes over budget. This is kind of back to uh, talking with Major General Valley about uh, the magic money tree. You know, name one thing the government runs that ever just shut down. Oh, oh, we're out of money. Nope, we got to shut it all down. And yeah, right, it doesn't happen. So post office was going to be just fine. They're going to be just fine. Uh, heaven forbid somebody should try to make it well, uh, at least less of a. Uh, dumping place for money because that's kind of what it's become over the years. So anyway, uh, big show going on and who cares, right? So, you know, the media, incredibly nasty. I don't know if you've caught this. We've had one of one of the guests we've had on the program a few times now is Mike Lindell, right? CEO, MyPillow. Uh, everybody knows him and uh, the commercials might drive you a little crazy, but who who hasn't, be honest, who hasn't found themselves, caught themselves, singing the my pillow commercial jingle that's why it's so successful so it's a good thing but uh one of those earworm kind of things but he's a great guy this guy this guy is america this guy is capitalism this guy is that's why they hate him because he supports president trump so anderson cooper's got him on his show on cnn this week i don't know if you heard this or not but this is horrible i mean this is just absolutely horrible this is what this is what the left has become Three biggest problems we've got in this country today. Number one, education, because it starts with education. We read the story about the uh, not wanting the parents to eavesdrop on their kids. Think about that for a minute. My goodness gracious. So education starts them young, gets them on this path to socialism, communism. It's all a great thing. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, Yeah. Number two, media. Because the media reaches the adults, and the media makes the adults think, okay, yeah, what my kids are learning, yeah, okay, it kind of ties it all together, if you will. The third thing is politicians, the politicians who let us down, who say they're going to fight for all these things. How many times did we hear, we're going to repeal and replace Obamacare? Yeah, right, where where is it? Where? Who? When? You know, anyway, so those are the three biggest problems we have, in my opinion, in this country right now. Number two was the media. Here is an amazing example. Yes. So that you can go out and promote it because you're willing to promote anything because you know, even if it doesn't work. Yeah, no, that's not true, Anderson, and you know it. I don't know. You probably well, sleep I, out of my pillow. Well, sir, I don't actually. I don't even know who you are. I don't think Secretary Carson. I don't even know who you are. Secretary Carson would bring this to the president with me if he didn't say really? trying to get. Okay, well, look at his track record on on, on promoting supplements for which he was paid. 
I'm just telling so you, me, this is the answer. Wouldn't you want to save lives? Sir, this is what my heart is. I, I gave it to my friends and family. Wow. You really are like lives. a drink oil salesman. It's I mean, saved their is, lives. You, you could be in the old west standing on a box telling people to drink your amazing elixir. No, I elixir give the glory to God. No I, do what God I, I do what Jesus has me do. I give the glory to God, and I want to help people. Jesus That's my passion. I'm not driven. I'm not money-driven. remedies that are not remedies that they've never been I am not money-driven, and why would I do this? Ask yourself, why would ruin my reputation? If I didn't, if you I didn't believe in reputation. this product, you don't have a great oh, really? reputation. Well, I mean, you know, you, that's, you, I mean, you if you say that, I'm, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. You're in my prayers, answer because they destroyed me when I went all in for this great president. Yep, and that's exactly why Anderson Cooper tried to destroy Mike Lindell right there. He he just proved his point. The whole interview. That that was not an interview. That was not professional. There was nothing about that that should meet any kind of industry standards for anybody, even if you're CNN. But did you notice at the beginning of that? He says, I don't even know who you are. He does it. Okay, come on. First of all, yeah, I think like pretty much everybody knows who Mike Lindell is. Everybody has seen the commercial. Like I said, we've all sung the song. Don't say you haven't. I know you have. So he knows who he is. But he says... I don't even know who you are. But did you hear the end of that? He starts reeling out, oh, well, you've got the Better Business Bureau says this. You've got this case here that you settled. You've done this. You've done this. You've done. So apparently he does know who he is. And, of course, again, nobody would even believe that he doesn't even know who he is. Of course he does. That was absolutely horrible. Horrible. But this is what the media has become. So, again, top three problems, education, media, you just heard it right there, and politicians who continually let us down. So, anyway, um, that's where we're at in society today. But, of course, just just really, really horrible. You want another example? Let me, let me give you another example. We've got some time left here, a few minutes left in the show. Let me play this. This is the media. These people who are accusing Donald Trump of not – but he probably won't accept the results of this election. They said it last time, too, right? They did the same thing, same song and dance. He's not going to accept it. And, and then he wins. And for since that day that he won, not a single one of these people, including Anderson Cooper, has been able to accept it, right? I'm not saying anything you don't already know, right? They're still on the Russia thing. They still think that has some traction. And scary enough. The, their voters are so misinformed. They listen to stuff like that that we just played. They're so misinformed that Russia probably still is an influencing factor to some of these people on the left. But listen to this. Russia is doing it again. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi oh, no. said it best. With oh. Donald Trump, quote, all roads lead to Putin. We see now oh, useful no. idiots in the United States Senate that are passing off to the American people information that's incepted by the Russian intelligence services intended to undermine faith in the American system. Russia, can't believe we're saying this, has friends in the U.S. Senate who are helping Russia disseminate their talking points here. Russia is actively working to, quote, denigrate Joe Biden. My question for you is Ron Johnson, senator from Wisconsin, is also actively working to denigrate Joe Biden. Are they in cahoots? Are they in cahoots? So, folks, Russia. They're insane. These people are completely insane. And if you think that was all of it, it's not. There's more. 
with this specificity, does that call into greater question the goings-on of Trump allies like Senator Ron Johnson, who I believe has picked mm -hmm. up and is running with some of this Kremlin-backed propaganda about Joe Biden? Uh, here we go again, Nicole. Yeah. This sounds awfully familiar. Members of the U.S. Senate are acting uh, as Russian uh, launderers of this information to bring down a U.S. candidate. That, that's reprehensible. It, it should stop. Okay, so again, problem number two, the media. You, you, any, any, any respectable journalist would say, whoa, I don't know that they're necessarily Russian agents. You know, maybe that's not true, but there are none of those left. It continued. Russia is actively 24-7 interfering in our election. They did so in 2016, and they are doing so now. That is the Speaker of the House. Now, you would think that having said that, that they're doing it again. Now, have you noticed that not a single person has ever asked Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, any of them, especially Barack Obama or Joe Biden, the guy who wants to be president now? Not a single one of them has ever thought, you know, hey, weren't you the guys in charge then? So how did this happen? I mean, how, were, how was Donald Trump, who was a candidate at the time, a real estate guy, he was a candidate. How was he so smart that he was able to concoct this entire thing and do it right under your noses? See, because right there, that should disqualify all of them, whether it's Joe Biden, Barack Obama, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, doesn't matter, pick any name. Not one single journalist has even asked. That might be an important question for Joe Biden, seeing as he was the vice president at the time. Um, how can you assure the American people that it won't be such a debacle when you're back in the White House? That might be a legitimate question. I don't know. I'm not going to hold my breath that somebody's going to answer it. But again, problem number two, the media. Listen to this. This is a clip that I absolutely wanted to play last week, but we went to a race instead. But Listen to this. Just listen to the disdain. Imagine, just imagine for one second that you've got a Fox News reporter sitting in a room at a presidential press conference, and they ask this question to President Obama. Please. Uh, Mr. President, after three and a half years, do you regret at all all the lying you've done to the American people? All the what? All the lying, all the dishonesty. That who is that? You have done. Uh, just imagine anybody asking anything like that of Barack Obama. Can you imagine the charges of racism? Oh, my God, he's the first black president. <laughs> Tens of thousands of lies. If you actually watched the clip or if you saw that when it happened. The, the disdain, the, the smugness of the reporter that just, he had his legs crossed and he just had his hand under his chin and just, just, just staring down at the president, the president of the United States of America. This is what's happened to journalism. There is no such thing anymore. It's just all a show, just like what's happening in Washington right now where they're going to save the post office. It's all a joke. This is a complete joke. Just imagine Joe Biden getting in. We said about three weeks ago on the program, made the comment that Joe Biden is nothing. He's a vessel. He's a 
He can't even take a stand right now. He couldn't take a stand during the entire DNC because any position he chooses, he's going to tick a whole bunch of people off. He can't take a stand on anything. You're supposed to just elect him and then just go, well, I guess he'll tell us after he's elected what he's going to do to us. This is a guy who's calling for these people, these people, Joe Biden, all of them, the media. They have accused President Trump of being a dictator, of, of operating like a dictator. Have you heard Joe? Have you heard what Joe would do? Well, here it is. Every single American should be wearing a mask when they're outside for the next three months at a minimum. Every governor should mandate, every governor should mandate mandatory mask wearing. That's not America. That's the opposite. That is a dictatorship. Every governor should mandate. We don't do things that way. So maybe a quick peruse through the Constitution might be helpful to Joe, but he really does think that way. So anyway, want to thank General Paul Bellamy, Newt Gingrich, Richard Barris. More importantly, each and every one of you be back here next Saturday at noon Eastern time for a brand new Don Smith show. Have a great weekend, everybody. Fight the good fight, everybody.